Hi, I'm Marty, one of the ministers here at Chatsford Presbyterian. Let's pray as we start. Dear Father, we pray that you would help us understand your word, to take comfort and joy from it, and to grow in our prayerfulness and trust in you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do all of these people have in common? The wizard Saruman from Lord of the Rings, Mr Wickham from Pride and Prejudice, Lando Calrissian from Star Wars, Cypher from the movie The Matrix, Marcus Junius Brutus, the Roman senator from the first century BC, and Judas Iscariot, a disciple of Jesus. Well, did you get it? Did you guess? That's right, of course. They're all traitors. Traitors. People who seem to be good on the outside, but turned out bad on the inside. Who switched sides. Who started as friends, but became the enemy. Fascinating characters. Fascinating people. Why are we so fascinated by traitors? Why do they make such good bad guys? Well, what they do is so shocking and surprising, isn't it? Treacherous characters make for good entertainment. We have this, this gut reaction to them because we know in real life, betrayal cuts us deeply. The sad fact is we'll all be betrayed at some point in our life in big or small ways. And so we, we understand, we get it, we get the uniquely deep hurt that is caused. Now, last week, uh, Warren shared this quote with us. The saddest thing about betrayal is that it never comes from your enemies. Betrayal always starts with trust, doesn't it? Trust given to a loved one or a close colleague at work. The ones you share your life with, your thoughts, your, your common goals. Or so you thought. What you thought you knew about them gets turned on its head. What you thought you had is destroyed. Betrayal cuts us in a deep and agonising way. Because we, we aren't dealing with some anonymous evil out there, but a friend. And so the natural gut reaction is, is shock, bewilderment, bitterness and grief. So what should we do with those emotions when we're betrayed? How do you normally react? How do you react when someone betrays you? I'll tell you how I normally react. Let me describe for you what I call the 2am churn. You know that experience when someone has wronged you and, and you're just so shaken up that you can't sleep and you lie awake at 2am, at 3am, 4am and you can't get the troubles out of your mind. You, you toss and you turn and you go over and over in your head. You, you, your mind and heart are churning. They're violently uh, moving to and fro in, in distress. You're bouncing from one fear to the next or, or you're thinking of what, what you should have said or, or planning a way to get even and then, and, and then you, you can't stop it and you tell yourself, well, okay, I'm just not going to think about it anymore but that just means you are thinking about it and then you're worried about because you're losing sleep and you can't get to sleep and you think about losing sleep and you, you just go round and round and round. The 2am churn just gets worse and worse in your mind. Is that it? 
Do we just churn over our emotions? Or perhaps we escape them and leave them behind. Or perhaps we, we should seek revenge. But as people who have been redeemed by Jesus, there must be a better way to deal with betrayal. So let's look at Psalm 55. In our series in Psalms over the last few weeks, we've seen David surrounded by his enemies. In Psalm 53, David cries, there is no one good, not even one. In Psalm 54, he says, arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. And once again, in Psalm 55, he cries out in distress. It's another intense, personal cry. And although it's personal, David wrote it for others too. I mean, that's what the psalm's introductory notes tell us. The psalm was written not just so that David could vent his emotions, but as a communal song for the Israelites to sing, led by our director of music. You can see it there, just before verse 1 of Psalm 55. Let's read it together. For the director of music with stringed instruments, a masculine of David. David longs to gain God's attention. Listen to me, he says. David's enemy has, has laid siege with words and threats. Disaster looms over him, pressing him down, and it's driving David to distraction. David says here, please, Lord, listen to me. I'm going crazy here. Let's read it in verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 55. Psalm 55, verses 1 to 3. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. David's fear it consumes his mind and heart. His heart writhes around inside him. In my mind, I picture David experiencing that same 2am churn. And it seems to get worse and worse. The words pile up. Anguish, terror, fear, horror. Read on in verses 4 and 5. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. So it's no surprise what David says next. He just wants to run away and leave all his troubles behind. Read on in verses 6 to 8. I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Next, in the middle section of the psalm, David reveals the source of his anguish. Enemies have infiltrated his city, Jerusalem. They've got, they've got weapons, they've got words as weapons, threats and lies. And these are no empty words. They follow through with violence and destruction. And so David calls on God to break those weapons, to jumble up those words, just like he did at, at the Tower of Babel strip away their power by confusing them. Let's read the next section in verses 9 to 11. 
Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. So who are these enemies? Are they foreigners? People from out in the wider world? Strangers that David doesn't know? No, no. And this, this is the cutting edge of this psalm. David's enemy is his friend. He has been betrayed. Betrayed by the closest of companions. A man, he says, who walked with him through the temple of God, shared the centre of David's life. Now, this could reflect a number of things in David's life, but this sounds a lot like what happened with his advisor, Ahithophel. Ahithophel was one of David's chief counsellors, and his words were trusted. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, it says this. It says, Now, in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. Trustworthy. But when disaster came on David's family and his son Absalom rebelled and tried to take the throne, Ahithophel switches sides. He betrays David. He went over to Absalom's side. And Ahithophel turns out to be a truly nasty piece of work. He is sleazy and treacherous. His words really were dangerous weapons. You see, after David fled Jerusalem... Ahithophel tells Absalom to sleep with all of David's concubines, claiming David's territory like some sort of animal. He says this in 2 Samuel 16, verse 21. Ahithophel says, Lie with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench in your father's nostrils, and the hands of everyone with you will be strengthened. David once considered Ahithophel a godly friend. They shared sweet fellowship, as David goes on to describe. But that man's words turned into weapons. Yes, David knows betrayal from the closest of companions. Let's go back to Psalm 55 now and read verses 12 to 14. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship. At the house of God, as we walked about among the worshippers. Then in verse 15, David zooms out a bit again and he calls out against all his enemies. He wants them to be betrayed now, to be tricked into death even while they live. Let's read verse 15. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. Well, what will David do? He's in anguish. His close companion has betrayed him. 
what will he do? Will he writhe about on his bed, just churning? Can he run away, escape all his problems? Will he lash out in revenge? Well, no, none of those. David puts the brakes on in verse 16. He calls us to attention with what I think is the central statement of this psalm. David says, as for me, I do this. I call to God. I call to God. David constantly calls on God in prayer all day. And the marvellous news for him is that God hears. Remember David cried in verse 1, listen to my prayer. In verse 17 we'll read, he hears my voice. Because in utter contrast to the traitor, God is trustworthy. He is steadfast. He does not change. He does not deceive. He shows constant faithfulness to David. David's enemies are slippery as eels, but God is solid as a rock. God is steadfast. He's steadfast to save. He will bring David through in safety. And God is steadfast to judge. He will deal with the traitor and the wicked. And so this is what David does. He puts his trust in someone trustworthy. See how resolute he is in verses 16 to 19. This is what he'll do. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon, I cry out in my distress and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. And as if to highlight God's perfect steadfastness, David fills out the picture of the traitor. God is a covenant keeper, the traitor, a covenant breaker. God's words are sweeter than honey and all his words are true. David says that in Psalm 119. But the traitor's words, well, they, they seem sweet, they seem true, but they only bring violence and pain. See the contrast there in verses 20 and 21. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. No, there is only one who is truly steadfast, God himself. Steadfast to save, steadfast to judge. And so David gives Israel the encouragement. He says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He may not take away all your troubles, but he will keep you going. You will be able to bear up in your anguish. God won't pull the rug out from under you. No, in fact, it is the wicked who will fall. God is faithful to this promise. Traitors will have their day of reckoning. And so David says, cast your cares on God and leave it to him to deal with the wicked. 
Look at verse 22 and 23. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. God, you will deal with the wicked. And so David says, as for me, again, what will I do? Churn, escape, seek revenge? No. Trust. Trust God. And so David caps off his psalm with this adamant declaration at the end of verse 23. See it there. But as for me, I trust in you. So what have we seen? David has moved from anguish to this assured hope. He starts the psalm by pouring out his emotions to God. He is beside himself with distress. It's it's churning around him, inside him. And he'd love to escape it all because it's his close companion who has betrayed him. But David doesn't wallow in his anguish. And he knows it's not realistic just to wish it all away. No, he takes his emotion and he turns it into prayer. He cries out to God all through the day and the night. He continually brings his trouble before God. Because he knows God won't betray him. God is steadfast. God will sustain David. And God is faithful to bring justice on the wicked. And so ultimately, David leaves the traitor to God. So friends, how should we understand and apply this passage today? Well, we need to understand and apply it through Jesus, don't we? David shows us the shape, the outline of a godly response to betrayal, but Jesus, he completes the picture for us. He fills it in. He fulfills, sorry, he fills it in and he fulfills this psalm. See, Jesus knew all about betrayal. In fact, he experienced the most infamous betrayal in history. The name Judas has come to mean traitor. Doesn't, doesn't David's psalm, doesn't it remind you of Jesus here? You know, the king of Israel, betrayed by one of those closest to him, one of his inner circle, who, who shared and, and listened to his voice, who ate his food, who, who walked along beside him. You know, Judas shared Jesus' life. Let me read to you what Jesus said to Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane from Matthew 26, verses 49 and 50. In the Garden. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Friend. How tragic is that? And the very sign of intimate friendship, a kiss, marks the betrayal. 
one of those chosen 12 was an instrument of the devil sending Jesus to death. But not only Judas is caught up in his betrayal, the rest of the disciples flee after Jesus was arrested. And then there was Peter, the closest of all, who denied knowing Jesus three times. And you know, even you and I, the Bible says we all stand with the disciples faithless to Jesus. We are the reason he died. Yet what was Jesus' response to betrayal? Did he rely on God like David? You bet he did. 1 Peter 2 verse 23 says this, When they hurled their insults at him, that's Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In that moment of betrayal, Jesus trusted his father that his father had a plan to bring justice. Yes, Jesus trusted God. But Jesus went so much further. He redeemed his enemies. In perfect self-mastery and perfect love, he died for his betrayers in their place. He completed God's plan to pay the penalty that those traitors deserve. Yes, Jesus experienced betrayal, and in fact, that was the path to salvation. Then, Jesus' trust in God was vindicated in resurrection. God sustained him, even through death. Betrayed by men, but raised up by God. God who is steadfast and unchanging. Furthermore, Jesus' resurrection proves that a day of justice is coming. So traitors, beware. Acts 17 verse 31 says this, For he, that is God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him, that's Jesus, from the dead. So seeing how Jesus fulfills this psalm, what should we do? If you are one of those traitors, and that's everyone, most important of all, put your trust in Jesus. You don't want to be brought down by your faithlessness to Jesus, not on the day he returns to judge. No, put your trust in Jesus. And then knowing that you are a redeemed traitor, hear the words of the psalm again. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. If you trust Jesus now, no betrayal can endanger your good standing with God. No pain or disappointment or hurt, none of that can jeopardise your eternal life with God. Furthermore, no betrayal, no matter how deep, ties the hands of the Holy Spirit. God, by his Holy Spirit, will sustain you to respond in godliness when others betray you. So when you experience betrayal, what should you do? Ask God to do what he promises. Ask him, by his Spirit, 
to sustain you. Don't churn over it endlessly. Don't run away from it. Don't seek revenge. No. But let me pause here and say that it is natural to be deeply shaken by betrayal. And this psalm validates that emotional turbulence might be feeling. But it doesn't let us churn in bitterness forever. There is direction to the psalm from anguish to trust. Is that the direction of your emotions? Are you heading towards trust in God? Now, it's not not realistic to run away from the pain. It's there, it's real. But it's also not our place to seek revenge. Romans 12 says it's God's place to repay evil. So no churning, no running, no revenge. No, ask God to sustain. Know that God is steadfast to save and judge. And so trust him by praying anytime, anywhere, evening, morning and noon, as David says, even at 2am. Cry to God. Tell him about your pain. Jesus literally knows the same pain. But then leave the traitors to God. God doesn't promise you'll never face betrayal. He promises to sustain you. He'll sustain you as you strive to imitate Jesus and loving your enemies and and acting in godliness towards them. He'll sustain you as you process the emotions. He'll sustain you as you keep trusting him. He'll sustain you until finally Jesus returns to judge with justice. He will keep his promise to deal with your betrayer. Friends, we have hope in the face of betrayal because the Lord Jesus was betrayed to pay for our sin. Because God is steadfast and true. And so we can turn away from the traitor. We can turn to God, cast our cares on him in prayer and say, but as for me, I trust in you. So let's pray now. Father God, we trust you in prayer now, asking that you would sustain us. Lord, we will be betrayed in this life. And Lord, sometimes we will be the traitor. We praise you that Jesus has gone through it all, not just to set us an example, but to free us from sin as well. Please help us to trust in him for forgiveness and yes, now follow his example. We ask you would turn our hearts to prayer constantly. Please make that our natural response to betrayal. And finally, Lord, we ask that Jesus would return soon and bring justice to our world. In his name we pray. Amen.